Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year. Managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. Putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. I tried the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year. And me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest. And we'd go up there. And just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom-fitted for a new pair of Tecovis boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson. On the not-so-magnificent Monday edition of the Yard, I have to admit, guys, it was a, a little difficult for me to get going today and to hit the record button. I know many of you kind of feel the same way, and uh, you don't have the ability to kind of vent your frustrations on a platform such as this. So uh, we're all in this deal together. It was not a great weekend of Mississippi State sports. Uh, I want to give a tip of the cap to uh, Ben Studeman and, and uh, the softball dogs and Tyler Brad and the whole crew over there. Big win yesterday against the uh, number four ranked Alabama. So uh, not all grace guys in Starville. And the sun actually did come up today. And uh, it's, a, it's, it's a nice day here. It's a little cooler than I like for it to be. But the bottom line is uh, we've got a lot less to cheer for today than we did yesterday. Before we get into all that, I want to thank our, our fine sponsors, Campus Bookmart, Stan the Man, Miss Kathy Brown, the whole crew there. I've got so many people that have gone by and said, you know what, Steve, I had never really shopped at Campus Bookmart until I, you began talking about it on the boneyard. And uh, I still get people to say, you know what, that's that's the spot. That's my place now. You're going to be amazed at the selection you can find there of Mississippi State-related items, whether it be clothing or uh, items for your home or your automobile, for your pets, whatever. You get cowbells there. You get wall decor whatever you want anything mississippi state related you can get right there at campus bookmart and if you know if you can't come to town and maybe game day is a, t- a tough shopping day for you because i know listen I, I get it you know as soon as i get to the to the campus to the venue i'm ready to get in and get going i understand that and uh and so if, if that's maybe you're like me maybe you're you're better online shopping so go to campusbookmart.net and by being a loyal boneyard listener we'll give you a promo code which is bsr which stands for beautiful steve robertson and get free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. 
So I guess let's get into women's basketball first because there's some finality there. We've got a lot to talk about baseball-wise because we've got this weekend and then the next weekend and then and kind of the rest of the spring and summer for us. So um, so let's get into women's hoops. Very disappointed, uh, not in our team, disappointed to end the result. I really thought that the team battled very, very hard. And there's so much that we can talk about uh, in relation to um, – you know, the fact that Louisville, as a one seed, had to go play in Albany, New York, two hours away from UConn, and Mississippi State had to travel, what, 2,600 miles to play Portland, Oregon's uh, Ducks, and that uh, Oregon actually has a, a business school there in Portland, and there's probably, I can assure you, there are more Oregon alums in Portland than there are Eugene. So we could beat that dead horse to death, and that's something the, the NCAA probably has to look at, but... Uh, you know, if you look at the bracketing rules, uh, it's just one of those things that happens. And, and here's the deal. And uh, I, on a neutral court, you know, a true neutral court, it might have been a different deal because uh, might have had more Mississippi State fans there. And I, and I, I want to give a tip of the cap to all of you that did make that trip. I know that was not a uh, that was not an, un, an inexpensive or inexpensive uh, undertaking to be able to, to make the trip all the way to Portland, Oregon. And uh, on, on behalf of all of us affiliated with Mississippi State, thank you to all of you that went there to cheer for our team. And um, I wish you'd had a better result, but uh, this trip wouldn't have been made 10 years ago. It's a simple chat. We wouldn't have the opportunity to go, but uh, we did have several of our fans go out there. But but here's the deal, and maybe it's one of those things a lot of people maybe don't want to admit today, uh, and maybe I didn't want to admit it, and, and I'll be honest with you, what I had heard prior to the bracket you know, there's all this talk about, you know, Mississippi State may get sent out to Portland and uh, have to face Oregon. So we've known for some time the possibility is happening. But here's the deal. I think Oregon's just a little bit better than us. It's as simple as that. I don't think Oregon is a great matchup for us. And I think they're a little bit better than us. I think that we, we kind of, you know, we're kind of weak where they're strong. And I think that they did just enough. And, uh, and had the home home court advantage. That's the reality of things. And uh, that made a difference. But, uh, you know, I had been told uh, leading into the bracket that um, this is a matchup that Mississippi State wanted. Uh, they wanted an opportunity uh, at redemption. They get the opportunity, and they win the game. They were absolutely outstanding from the three-point line, 13 of 26. When you shoot 50% from the three-point line, you're going to win more games than not. Mississippi State, very, very good uh, defensively in the mid-range game and in the post. Didn't give up a whole lot in the paint, uh, but didn't need to. State just six turnovers, and you you look at Jasmine Holmes. I mean, goodness gracious, and Vic talked about this. Jasmine Holmes, 13 assists, zero turnovers, and 39 minutes of action. Absolutely outstanding. A couple of steals, had a block. 15 points. Just an outstanding effort. One of the more underappreciated players in the country, no doubt about it. But State really struggled to defend on the perimeter. And it wasn't as simple as just a bunch of, you know, step-back threes. I mean, listen, Oregon ran some really good sets to get the matchups they wanted. They kind of had you chasing the ball because State wants to play so much man-to-man. They get you chasing the ball, then they... They screen, and they screen again, they screen again. Next thing you know, they've got a wide-open shooter. They drive and dish, and they, they get the ball into the hands of a shooter. And so they get you chasing the ball, and they set up open shots, and they simply knock them down. They did not shoot the three very well against San Diego State, or pardon me, South Dakota State. Had we had a similar uh, field goal percentage this time, I believe Mississippi State wins the game. But the bottom line is they, they set up some big shots. They knocked them down. State 8 of 14 – also above uh, 50% there, but uh, not shooting with the same uh, frequency as, as Oregon. And, uh, you, know, you know, Sabrina Ionescu, outstanding effort from her, 31 points, 12 of 20 from the floor, 5 of 8 from the three-point line, uh, perfect from the line for free throw line, seven rebounds, also had a hand and eight assists. Big game for her. No doubt about it. You know, and it just kind of felt like in that first quarter – Towards the end of the quarter, you know, State began to kind of get some distance. I think that we led by as many as seven, maybe. But it seemed like, you know, what State was a tougher team. 
Tierra was getting all the rebounds. It just seemed like uh, Oregon missed some shots early go in the early going, and 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 State was able to kind of get some distance. And you kind of felt like, okay, we're about to kind of pull away from this thing because it looks like State's the tougher team. And then uh, you know State is up two after a one, and then uh, they're up two at the break, and then it's even after three. And I kind of joke with my wife. And I said, well, here we go. You know, it's our turn to be back on top again. But I tip the cap to to Oregon. Um, I just think they're a little bit better than us. I think it's just not a good matchup for us, as I've said. And uh, they won the ball game. And we can be angry. And uh, you know, listen, and, and I get it. I get caught up in some of this stuff, too. Uh, I did think the announcers were somewhat pro-Oregon. I even tweeted to somebody to turn off LaChana Robinson's microphone. Uh, it's one time when... Uh, Jasmine uh, Jasmine Holmes uh, flashes to the lane and shoots a jumper and gets fouled and and uh, Lachana Robinson says that that Jasmine initiated the contact there which is among the dumbest things that was said yesterday and anywhere in the country or the world for that matter uh, but so you, you, we we're all emotionally invested in this sort of thing and uh, I even saw Matt Wyatt tweeting about uh, you know, some of the commentating and so we we're, we all get sucked into that but here's the deal is uh, there there was some bad officiating. But that, but that's kind of been the situation all year long. I mean, I thought that the uh, the foul they called Jessica Carter on was was absolutely horrendous. It's basically a 50-50 ball, and Carter gets inside position, and the other player comes over her back, and Carter is called for the foul. You know, and and if the NCAA is really serious about women's basketball, and they should be because the uh, the fan base for the sport is growing. They have got to do something to have better accountability with these officials. They've got to hire better officials. They've got to train them better, whatever. There's got to be better accountability. But listen, we have seen subpar officiating all year long in women's basketball. This this wasn't like yesterday. It was, uh, was a big surprise. But for the most part, I thought they let them play. There was one in the third quarter, I thought – the, especially the early part of the third quarter, I really thought that calls went Oregon's way. I did not think Mississippi State got a fair shake. But when you look at how the thing kind of shook out in the end, uh, they had 14 personal fouls. We had 15. And many of our fouls in that fourth quarter came late when we had fouls to give, trying to get them to the line to extend the game. And so there wasn't a lot of whistles blown. So for the most part, they let them play. Uh, but it did seem it kind of herky jerky at times. It seemed like that. It seemed like at times the officials kind of got on a roll with Oregon, uh, and that and that's again kind of a byproduct of, of playing the game in Portland, Oregon. Is uh, you get ten thousand people there. It's just human nature. It's just the reality of things. I mean, it's one of those things I, I wish I could explain away, but I can't. But we can complain about all those things. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. And uh, a lot of that kind of bowl looks looks almost excuses. You know what I'm saying? It looks like an excuse. My my, my personal feelings is I, I really felt like going into the game that it really wouldn't matter that the game was played in Portland. I think it mattered a little bit. But to be fair, I just think Oregon's a little bit better than Mississippi State. I, I think because of the fact that Mississippi State did not have uh, the perimeter attack to really kind of keep the Oregon defense off of the post and off of T.R. McCowan, I think that made a difference. If Mississippi State has one more shooter, uh, then, you know, you kind of hold them a little more accountable. You know, they've got to respect the outside shot a little bit more, and they really didn't respect the outside shot. Even though State made a few, but they all knew that Jordan Danbury wasn't going to shoot for three. They all knew Jasmine Holmes wasn't going to shoot a three. That's just not their game. And that's not the same thing negative about them. That's just not in their skill set. But if you had one more shooter, let's say you had Chloe Bibby healthy. You know, let, let's say uh, you know, Andre Espinosa gets hot there. You know, she, and, and he hit a couple of shots. Uh, matter of fact, she had four three-pointers. But uh, you get somebody else out there where you can spread the floor, where you've got two people that are equally capable of hurting you from three-point line, then all of a sudden – that opens up the middle more for Tierra, and I, I thought Tierra played well. I think, considering circumstances, that she played uh, you know pretty well. F- Fifteen rebounds, nineteen points. We got a double double out of that. You know, we probably we would have needed about thirty from her to win the ball game, just because I feel like that uh, they had no matchup for her, and we all knew that, and so they just collapsed in because they didn't respect the outside shot. And so, uh, the season's over. The uh, the Bulldog careers of Tierra McCowan, Jordan Dan. Barry Jasmine Holmes and Andrew Howard, it's over. Zion Campbell. 
it's done. And we go through this time, this every year. Okay, in the last two years, obviously we've been the final team to lose. And so that's been difficult because we always felt like, you know what, we'll get back. This Well, this time last year, we were all thinking, okay, well, we're probably a Sweet 16 team just with what we had coming back. And then we are able to add, obviously, uh, Andrew Howard and, and Andre Espinosa. And I really felt like, okay, that we, we've got the possibility to be a Final Four team again. And you could make the argument, maybe, maybe we should have been. But we won an SEC regular season championship again and win the SEC tournament championship for the first time and then make it to the regional final. I don't know if we were com- – I don't. I think we probably went as far as we could go with the exception of maybe one more win. You're 33-3 and three on the year. You lose to Missouri at home in a game when State just didn't play well. And you've gone to Oregon twice, and you've played Oregon twice. And that's it, it, the bottom line is no matter what we think or, or how we feel, we played Oregon twice. They beat us both times. You just kind of tip your cap and say, you know what? You're the better team. Now we move forward. So what does that mean for Mississippi State? Uh, I don't know. And when you look at what Tierra McCowan has done at Mississippi State, I, I don't know if we have had a loss quite as significant as this one in the last three years. You know, because that was the big discussion. You know, when we, we went to the national championship game in 17, and everybody's like, well, you know, Chinway Corey's moving on, but but Tier McCowan's coming on, right? You say, well, Dominic Dillingham leaves our defensive stopper, but she wasn't off the offensive threats that maybe Blair Schaefer will be. You know, Brianna Richardson, Katara Chapel moving on, but we'll move Victoria Vivian to the four. We'll run a four guard lineup, and so even even then we felt really good going into 2018. It's like you know what? Yes, we lost some some veteran players. We we may not be as good defensively, but we should be a lot better offensively. We went out, that's exactly what happened. And we actually we were pretty good defensively. But we were a tremendous offensive basketball team. Well, then last year, this time last year, we said, well, you know, what are we going to do? We're going to be a much different team next year. We're not going to have that, you know, the, the four-guard lineup we had with Rashonda Johnson and Morgan William and um, Victoria Vivians, Blair Schaefer. You know, we kind of knew we had the Mad Bombers out there that, you know, you had to you had to basically depend on a collectively bad shooting night in order to beat us, and that only happened twice, and really only once. And that was in the SEC Tournament Championship game against South Carolina. We actually played well enough to win every other game. This year it feels a little bit different, to be honest with you. It feels a lot different. Because you got a player like T.R. McCowan that uh, it's kind of a once-in-a-decade type player, if not – maybe once-in-generation type player. And so when you lose her, because she was such a big part of our defensive presence in our offensive game, and, and listen, you know, this time last year, we didn't run nearly as much offense through her. You know, we really we just kind of shot from outside, and then when, when we'd get one-on-one uh, matchups down low, we'd, we'd drop it down to her. But we really just kind of let her be, be the big eraser for us. We made big mistakes down there. We missed a shot. She was so much uh, larger and, and more skilled than the players defending her that she could get the rebounds. So she was more of a putback person. This year, she's refined her offensive game a lot more. And so I think that that's a huge loss. And so, but well, you know, Jessica Carter is is well away, well ahead of where Tierra was as a freshman. That there's no question about that. But there will be a drop off. Promise Taylor. Uh, who uh, is working back from an injury. She's on crutches now. Okay, she'll be ready to go when we get ready to get back into practice. But, you know, but you've got a couple of players there that you feel like, you know what, we're going to be good in the post. We may not be elite in the post, but we're going to be good in the post. Chloe Bibby is ahead of schedule from what everybody tells us, and we expect her to come back and resume her position at the four. Rakia Jackson's coming in arguably the most talented women's basketball player that we've ever signed. I'm told she's right on the same level as Victoria Vivians, and she might be a little bit ahead of her defensively. We'll have her in. I believe that uh, you know, Maya Taylor will be your point guard next year. You know, she got some understudy minutes, and that's one of the things you look back to last year. You go, Jazz played a lot in relief of Morgan kind of grooming her for this year and uh she was outstanding and i remember when uh you know when jazz first showed up as a freshman you know there were there were times that um 
she wasn't very good. There were times that she got emotional. There were times that, you know, they'd have to pull her out of games because, you know, she'd get frustrated. And you look at her now, and she's so calm and cool and collected. And so when I look at the same thing with Maya, Maya had the benefit of a red shirt last year and then kind of watching Jazz this year, and she got to see the best version of Jazz, of Jazz's career. So she kind of understands how important it is to run the team, distribute the basketball. We'll see what happens on the uh, defensive end. Maya's got good hands. She'll get in there and get the ball. You know, she, she'll knock the ball loose. She's had some big steals this year. Uh, but size-wise, it's a little different deal. Brianne Scott, I still like her coming off the bench. I think that you know, she's a good six person. Good on the defensive end. Good setup shooter. Uh, hit some big shots yesterday. You know, a couple of threes for us. Eight points in the ballgame. You know, but I think Brianne Scott continues to serve in that six-woman that six woman role and that Andy Espinosa stays on the floor. So when you begin to look at it this way, you begin to think, okay, you'll have your post player, then Maya, Chloe, Rakia Jackson, and then there's Andy Espinosa in there. Uh, you could, you're going to be more of a perimeter-oriented team. You're going to be a little more like you were in 2018 than you were in 2019. I think one of the things that will help in that respect, too, is the fact the spreading of the floor will be a lot different. People will not be able to sag off shooters like they were this year. We were a much different team this year, but we were still a great team. We were an elite team. I wondered when people began to say, is this the best team Mississippi State has had? I I think it's probably number two, to be honest with you. I think the best team we've had was the 2018 team. But when you begin to look ahead at 2020, there are some pieces that return that will be even better than they were this year. And you begin to look at things, you know, from a philosophical standpoint, from offensively, you begin to think, okay, State could be a lot more versatile next year. Because there were times this year people would pack in the zone and force us to shoot over it, and uh, we really only had, you know, one player really capable of doing that consistently, and that was Unreal Howard. And then down the stretch, Andy Espinosa Hunter really got going. But, I, but I'm excited about next year. I think State will be a very good team. I don't, I don't know who you look at and say, okay, when you look around this league and you begin to say, okay, who's going to win the SEC next year? I, th- I think it's really wide open because many of the stars in our league are moving on. South Carolina returns, uh, you know, some pieces, but they're also going to have, uh, you know, a great recruiting class coming in. Uh, and, and this league is very unforgiving for freshmen, but they're going to be very, very good. The, the, the rivalry between State and South Carolina continues. But they're going to have some pieces come back. They're going to be a very good team next year. Matter of fact, I, I, I suspect if I had to call it today, I suspect that the media will pick South Carolina to win the SEC next year. Uh, they very well could do it. They're going to lose a few people. They'll lose a reserve guard and Nellie Perry. And you know, one of the biggest losses is Bianca Cuevas Moore. You recall she was the uh, point guard on the 2017 uh, national championship team and then suffered an ACL injury in 18, missed 18, came back and played some this year. Uh, so she will move on. Thousand-point scorer in her career at South Carolina, but she'll move on. Uh, Taya Cooper, former Tennessee transfer, uh, their leading scorer this year. She has already announced her intentions to return. There were some people that thought she might consider going pro, but she has announced uh, following their loss to Baylor that she would be back. Uh, Denia Clowney is going to move on. We saw her minutes kind of reduced a little bit this year, but as that roster began to kind of roll and develop out this year, uh, she's one uh, that moved on uh, and kind of accepted a little more of a diminished role this year. She's a good player, but um, not maybe what she was a year ago. Uh, Herbert Harrigan going to be back. She's uh, probably had her best year in women's basketball this year. Uh, very, very talented player. Not just, you know, a post player and a rebounder. She really developed and refined that outside shot this year, so they'll be very good. And then, uh, you know, Ty Harris returns uh, as the starting point guard. Uh, not a huge fan of hers. I think she is a little bit of a liability offensively, especially when you make her shoot. Um, and you keep right the paint. But um, when you look at the pieces they have kept coming back, they should be very, very good. Uh, they lose to Baylor, who I think will probably win the whole thing uh, this year. But State will be an interesting team. I think State's a team that can get in there and, and make things interesting uh, next year. But it's going to be about building some depth. It's going to be about uh, putting some things together. And it's going to be about some of these younger players kind of stepping into these roles and kind of taking ownership. And that's why the non-conference schedule will be so unbelievably important next year. Just as we saw this year, it took a little while for the, the team to kind of find a sense of itself. 
You had new players uh, coming in with Andre Howard, you know, coming in, and, and uh, you know, Jazz Holmes kind of had to figure some things out. So State's got to figure that out. And so I, I will, I will not be surprised if uh, we schedule a little bit lighter in the non-conference uh, this year. I, I will be a little surprised if, if, if we're not a little bit, a little more careful with that. I don't think we'll be taking a trip to to Eugene, Oregon uh, next year. But uh, again, it's over. Very, very grateful to uh, Tierra McCowan and and our departing seniors and Jazz Holmes and Andre Howard and and uh, Jordan Danbury. And you begin to think about you know the transfers and, and what their impact was on this program. And I wouldn't rule that out this year either. I don't know of anything. You know, this time last year, we kind of had a pretty good idea. Some things were in the in the mix, but uh, you know, we'll see what happens because you never know how the roster could look. You never know because this time last year, we just, we weren't exactly sure what was going to happen on Real Howard. We're still doing some recruiting, and we had a couple of very very important pieces. And so I, I I don't ever count Vic Schaefer out on a recruiting trail ever. I never ever 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 count him out. I want to remind you, when you're in town, Bulldog Burger Company is absolutely the place to go to break bread. It is where the cool kids hang out. I absolutely love going there. We're in there regularly. You should be there regularly. And uh, now they're with baseball here. You know, baseball is a little more laid back. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you know how it is in football and basketball. You kind of rush into the arena. You know, baseball, you get here early. You kind of hang out all day. You get plenty of time to go to Bulldog Burger Company and enjoy yourself. And so we're going to encourage you to do that and go find your own new favorites there. Absolutely enjoy going in there with the family. It is absolutely the Robertson family restaurant of choice when uh, given the opportunity to go out. We encourage you, Bulldog Burger Company, your opportunity to go in there and uh, and find some, some new things that uh, may be off the beaten path. That great restaurant-quality hamburger is one of the finest things in life. Bulldog Burger Company, the place in Stark where people go to meet, M-E-A-T. Okay, so let's get into baseball. It was not a good weekend, and, and we kind of had that. Uh, we kind of felt... <laughs> You know, Friday morning we felt pretty good about life. We're thinking, okay, we, we ought to be able to get a couple. And I kind of mentioned on Friday's show that I was concerned about all those left-handers in the lineup with JT Ginn because of, of, of his stuff, because of how he kind of operates. And sure enough, there were some challenges there. And uh, listen, give LSU credit. It wasn't just about JT Ginn uh, having a rough start there. I mean, they, they kind of laid off that slider and, and uh, kind of waited on him, and, and they hit some balls early. And next thing you know, it's uh, – it's a 3 nothing ball game, and it seems like State has had such struggles, uh, you know, keeping people off the off the base pass in that first inning. It would be nice to get a clean inning every so often. We did against Auburn, but it seemed like, man, we really struggled over the course of the last 10 games or so just getting through the through their order for the first time, and we absolutely did against LSU every single ball game. But JT again is going to be fine. <laughs> JT is going to be more than fine. I think this is one of those things where – uh, this is a valuable lesson, and he said in post game, he said, "You know, listen, you know they're going to stack left-handers against you. You, you, you kind of know that going in. This is his first time really, really playing against an offensive team like LSU, and even though they have struggled this year, they're very, very well coached. You knew they were going to have a good game plan, uh, and so we see that JT Ginn is human, and uh, I expect a, a strong bounce back start for him this weekend on the road in Knoxville. Ran some numbers this morning too." Uh, just because I think they're important, and I uh, tweeted some of them out. But looking at last week's numbers, through four games, Jake Mangum, 7 of 21, uh, now hitting 398, leads a team. He's also now tied with Richard Lee. Tied with Richard Lee at 328 career hits as Mississippi State Bulldog. That is second only to Jeffrey Ray at 335. That also ties Jeffrey, I mean, pardon me, John, Jake and, and Richard Lee as number seven in the Southeastern Conference. Eddie Furness holds the record at 352. Uh, you got to feel like if Jake can stay healthy, there's a really good chance of him uh, surpassing that. And uh, I think it's important that we continue to kind of keep up with that because I think this is rarefied air for Jake Mangum and for Mississippi State. I think, th- I think this is one of those things that can continue to kind of propel the team forward, if you understand what I'm saying. I, I think that it's important for guys to kind of get on base and, and turn the order over and give Jake another hand, another chance to hit. It's an interesting subplot to what I think can be a special season. Uh, Tanner Allen struggled last week, 2 of 15. Uh, Elijah Magnamy, 4 of 14. Justin Foskey, 5 of 14. Hit a couple bombs over the weekend. Rowdy Jordan, 6 of 15. Had a big 4 for 5 game on Wednesday, uh, but only had a couple of hits against OSU over the weekend, one of those being a two-run home run 
uh, in the Saturday ball game, his first of the year. Dustin Skelton, 6 for 14. Uh, now hitting 337. That's pretty good production out of your catcher there. Uh, Josh Hatcher has kind of worked his way into the DH role and, and uh, hitting 385 now. 5 for 11 on the week. Uh, Gunnar Halter had a tough week with just one hit, uh, and we've seen him kind of be up and down. Uh, I, I still like that speed at the bottom half of the order. I think that uh, it's just a matter of him kind of acclimating, getting used to SEC pitching. I think he'll be fine. Just We continue to have some defensive issues, and I think that's one of the things that uh, is among the most perplexing things to me because um, more times than not, it's not a physical error. It's been really more of an execution error. And, and what I mean by that is, is, you know, when you're playing hard and you're, you're going all out, there's going to be some times that you're going to lay out there and you're going to make a mistake. That, that, that's part of the game. The physical errors, you, you kind of expect some of that to happen. You know, the mental lapses is, is what is, you know, really kind of a concern for me. We had, if I'm not mistaken, we had three collisions over the weekend. Three. One between Rowdy Jordan and Jake Mangum. And we were very fortunate that, that nobody got hurt. Jake hangs onto the ball there. Then we had uh, then we had one between uh, Roddy Jordan and and uh, Jordan Westberg, and uh, I really thought Westy gave up on that pop fly a little early. And it is Rowdy's ball coming in, but some, you know Rowdy's got to take charge there. Uh, ideally, you want your shortstop to get everything, but when you've got an outfielder coming in, the ball the plays in front of him, it's his play to make. And then lo and behold, uh, the ball bounces off Rowdy's glove, and then and then chaos ensues okay and then we had the deal where you had a little pop-up there between uh and Dustin Skelton gets run into those are the kind of things and I'm not going to be negative about Mississippi State or our coaching staff but those are things you learn very early in baseball okay you know I got it ball 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 whatever there's always something out there there's terminology that you can communicate with to ensure these kind of things doesn't happen and that's that's very very concerning that here we are, you know, nearly 30 games into the season, and uh, you know some of the more basic fundamentals of the game are are, con- are kind of eluding us. And uh, when you look at what LSU did this weekend defensively, and I had a chance to talk to a couple of baseball parents after the ball game, and, and I'm I'm in agreement with them. We saw an absolute clinic defensively, an absolute clinic defensively uh, from LSU. Gunnar Halter hits a smash back up the middle. LSU had the second baseman played right up the middle. Ball went right to him. Ordinarily, it's a base hit. But because of where they were and how they had him positioned, it was a routine ground ball, 4-3. There were times that it appeared to me that LSU was so far ahead of us that it didn't even seem fair. And uh, you, if you if you watched LSU, if, if you DVR those games and if you can bear to go back and watch it, one thing I want you to notice is once the signal and the call is made, you'll see the LSU defenders kind of moving around. I don't mean just calling a shift. It's like everybody knows knows the call, everybody. And uh, so let's say for an example, if if they shift to the left, then they're going to give that ball on the inner, inner half and force that guy to hit into the shift. As we saw Thursday night, you know, when State had the shift on, we pitched Antoine to plant this away and he nearly poked one in the left field. And so, again, that's one of those things that kind of concerns me. It's like, when I look at how everything looks so easy for that LSU infield, and listen, you can say what you want to, you know, Zach Watson in center field for LSU, he runs down everything, you know. Uh, and we've got a guy out there, too, that does the same thing for us. But my point being is that the positioning defensively for LSU was just next level. And I feel like when you look at, at our challenges defensively and you look at how well they play defensively, you know, that's the standard that we want to be at. And it pains me to say that. It really does. Because, you know, I, I felt after Thursday night that we would find a way to win one of those those ball games. And I really I really thought it would be Sunday, to be honest with you. I, I, I worried a little bit about JT, uh, you know, working on his left-handers. And I thought we might struggle a little bit. But I felt like, you know, they've got a freshman throw into. Maybe the big crowds will get to him. Cole Henry was outstanding, especially that first time through the order. Uh, we were hitless. And I think sometimes we kind of speed the game up on ourselves. But, you know, the, the the part for me that is so frustrating is even in our good years. And listen, you know, we went on to Omaha last year uh, and uh, had a better year than LSU did in the end. But they beat us and uh, they won the series. And it's one of those deals where it seems like we can get them sometimes in the SEC tournament, but we struggle to beat them in the best two out of three. We, we lost to them in the Super Regional. You know, it's like I don't know how many series in a row they won against us now, but I, I guess 2000 seven maybe he's the last time we've won a series I don't you know I don't know 
I, I barely even, I can't stand to look. But it's like no matter how good we are and how good we feel, we get this annual reminder from LSU that we're not quite where we want to be yet. And where we want to be is to be on that level at LSU, consistently contending for the SEC championship and for a national championship. That's where we want to be. And so I, you know, for me, and I, and I see these people that make your little sarcastic comments out there about, well, some rivalry. Well, you know, and, and that's that's it hasn't been much of a rivalry the last decade or so because they've had the better of it. But historically, this has been the team, and, and I guess because we were alive in the 80s, we remember you know, how great those series were, but the rivalry has certainly gone in, in their favor. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, and if you don't think they see us as a rival, we need to go down and talk to some of those folks. They absolutely do. But I don't even care how they feel. It's how I feel because I believe they are ahead of us. I believe when anybody that is ahead of us in the SEC and national pecking order, we should have a rivalry with them because we're trying to catch them. And LSU proves weekend that we still haven't caught them. Even as good as we all felt on Thursday after striking out 17 LSU hitters uh, and really kind of gifting them a couple of runs, we still won the ballgame. We still found a way to go win that ballgame. And so there will be another day. But it's very, very frustrating to, to lose to LSU again. We've, we've really kind of left them back in the race. And so uh, speaking of the race, let's go ahead and run this thing down for you. Just look at it last weekend real quick around the league. Uh, Georgia is now leading the Southeastern Conference with a 7-2 and two record. Georgia takes two out of three from Kentucky. A&M and Missouri, they tied 1-1-1. One, one, and one. Had to get out there yesterday, travel restrictions. And so now A&M is leading the West in winning percentage, but it's one of those that that tie will be around all year. It's something you got to deal with all year now. Ole Miss with a big series win at Arkansas. I don't think either one of those teams are as good as uh, Baseball America or uh, D1 Baseball wants to make you out to believe. I think they're they're really good teams, and I think both of those teams will be in the tournament field. Uh, but that's a big win for Ole Miss, no matter how you slice it, to go up there and get two out of three. Uh, LSU, of course, takes two out of three at Mississippi State. Vanderbilt, two out of three over Tennessee. That's Mississippi State's next opponent. Tennessee, they're going to pitch it well. They don't score a whole lot, so we may see some low-scoring games. Vandy did put up some runs against them. Tennessee did take the Sunday game. Um, but Tennessee is going to pitch it pretty well. And so if you see some 3-2, to 2-1 two, two to type ball games uh, Friday and Saturday, don't be surprised. They do have some right-handers in that lineup, uh, but they've got they've got a couple of guys that are power arms. So uh, I'll be down there covering the series, and so are up there covering the series, and uh, we'll have full coverage uh, for you uh, from Knoxville. But that'll be a big series for State. It, that's a chance for State to kind of get healthy. Auburn uh, takes two out of three from South Carolina. Again, that Auburn series win is going to look even better in hindsight. I think Auburn's a team that's going to be able to pitch it real well. South Carolina, I'm glad we get them at the end of the year. It gives us a chance to, I think, really close and do a good job, close out the season on a high note. And uh, Florida sweeps Alabama. So the next two opponents from Mississippi State, conference-wise, will be at Tennessee and then Alabama's here for uh, Super Bulldog weekend. When we begin to kind of look at this deal and look at how things shape up, the next couple of weekends, this is a chance for State. This is a statement stretch for Mississippi State. You need to find a way to win the series in Tennessee. And goodness, if you could sweep, you could cure a lot of ills with that. But I don't, I don't ever forecast a sweep on the road. I, I just, I don't. In 2016, you know, we went over to Auburn and went over to Alabama and needed to get both of those. And, you know, we, did, we didn't get them both. Uh, but all that being said, what's ahead of us is more important than what's behind us. Because if you, if you begin to think about this thing, if, you, if you're honest with yourself, when, this, when the schedule first count, came out and you saw – Florida, Auburn, LSU. If you could navigate through there, if you said, okay, listen, if we can get through there with a winning record, we've done really well. We've done that. We're 5-4. and four. Should be better. We should be closer to 6-3. and three. But the bottom line is we're 5-4, and four, maybe a game behind where we had hoped to be, but probably a game or two ahead of where we thought we would be because I don't think anybody expects us to go into Gainesville and win that series. But we've done that. You got Tennessee coming up. That is a winnable series for Mississippi State. Then you have Alabama coming in here. Alabama, arguably the worst team in the West right now. You look at the numbers, they're 2-7, 29 overall, but 2-7 in the league 
The only team with a worse record in conference is Kentucky at 1-8. and eight. They're tied with South Carolina at 2-7. and seven. Alabama is a team that uh, Mississippi State, especially with the big crowd, Super Bowl weekend, maybe a chance for us to set some big attendance records. Everybody needs to be here. Make plans to be here. South Carolina will beat Alabama this weekend. Somebody's got to get a win, right? Uh, so that'll be interesting, to say the least. But um, after playing, uh, you know, three top 10, top 15 type teams in a row, you know, State's going to have a couple weekends here where the competition's not quite as severe. This is a chance for State to kind of get healthy and really sh- really show what kind of year it's going to be. <clears throat> we want to be playing our best baseball at the end of the year, obviously. But if we're going to be a real factor in the conference race, State has to take advantage of these next couple weekends. There's, there's no question about it. Uh, I think when you begin to think about, you know, what, what's at stake and uh, as we look long term here, you know, we, we want to be able to host a regional. We want to be able to host a super regional. And people say, well, you know, is there still a chance for us to be a super regional, be a, a national top eight national host? And there is. But in order to do that, we have got to win these next two series. We have got to make up some ground on the teams in front of us because you're not going to have a handful of national seeds from the SEC. It's just not going to happen. And I think this team is capable of going on the road. Matter of fact, this team may be better equipped to go win a super regional on the road just because of the fact you know you've got great Friday and Saturday pitching with Ethan Small. Ethan Small continues to be outstanding. JT again, 6-1 and one on the year. Uh, you know, and, and uh, you know, if you've been around that kid, you understand how competitive he is. He will be better for what happened against LSU. He will be better. He will learn from that and be better. And the fact that they begin to think about this, that our winning this pitcher this year is a true freshman. Yes, he was a first-round draft pick, but that, that, there are a lot of freshmen that come into this league that it takes them half the year to kind of figure this thing out. And the fact that JT again hit the ground running, I think bodes well for him. Uh, bodes well for the season. So we'll figure that out. Now, the Sunday pitching piece, that's still a moving target, okay? And uh, I, I can't sit here and tell you, okay, well, here's the good things and here's the bad. There's, there's not a lot of positive I can say about what's going on on Sundays. Uh, and when you look at, I thought Peyton Plumley came in, made a mistake to Antoine DePlantis, who hit his second home run of the weekend. And you get down one nothing, but then Peyton settles down. Then Peyton goes through and you know, strikes out four hitters and, you know, does a good job. And then the next thing you know, we're kind of we're kind of chasing the game again. We get a couple of wild pitches from Keegan James, and it's three nothing. And it didn't feel like that 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 was insurmountable because we were hitting the baseball hard, and we just weren't finding spots. We feel like sooner or later we'll get to this Walker kid, who and I think he might have hit 87, 88 on the gun. Uh, but we were on our front foot, and we were getting under everything. And I think sometimes we, um, as a team, have a tendency to swing for the fences. That works out sometimes, but there are a lot of times that we end up popping the ball up or hitting a routine fly ball rather than just hitting a line drive somewhere. And uh, that kind of seemed to be the case on uh, Saturday in game three. It really felt like we were pressing offensively, that we were trying to always hit the big ball. We were trying to get the crowd involved. And it seemed like we got, we're low on our shoulder a little bit and getting out in front and popping the ball up. Uh, and so be that as it may, our approach on Sundays has not been very consistent. Uh, you know, Keegan James, Peyton Plumley, that, that competition still lingers on. And the main thing is these next two weekends, we've got to get that settled. And uh, we looked at it kind of as a Johnny Holstaff thing, trying to mix and match a little bit on Sunday. And I, and I don't think that proved to be very effective. I think I think LSU, regardless of who we trotted out there, they were prepared. And it does seem like that they were absolutely prepared for whatever we had. Their scouting report on Mississippi State was very, very good. And we didn't help ourselves at times. Uh, not throwing strikes. And that's one of the things that I have always felt that uh, when you have guys that struggle to consistently throw strikes, that is not mechanical. That's mental. That's a mental issue. There are some people that are scared to get hit. And so they try to make a perfect pitch. And as a result, they nibble. And next thing you know, uh, we're down 3-1 in the count, and you got to give in and throw a fastball. You know, sometimes you got to be willing to challenge hitters with your best stuff. That's one of the things that I think makes Cole Gordon – so reliable, and yeah, he's had he's had an inning or two this year that have, that have not been stellar. But you can you consider the fact how instrumental he's been in our wins this year? Um, I think you get it. But he Cole is not scared to go challenge guy. He believes in his stuff, and so he's willing to throw his curveball for a strike. He can throw his curveball for a strike, and he struck out Daniel Cabrera on a one-two-two seam fastball 
that uh, and I'm sure Cabrera was thinking, okay, I'm going to get a breaking ball here. I got to be thinking, got to be thinking, got to be thinking, and boom, it's by him. And he strikes out looking. Probably the biggest pitch of the season for Cole Gordon. He goes in there and absolutely strikes him out and freezes him on that pitch. But a lot of that's just having confidence in your stuff. And, uh, you listen, I, I had a kid that was a college baseball pitcher. And uh, it's one of the things that we always talk about is go pound the strike zone, let the defense work. But don't think these guys can beat you. You've got to have some competitive nature about you and think, okay, I know this. If I throw this and he hits it, here's what's going to happen. And sometimes you're going to challenge a guy, as we saw with Ethan Small. He goes out and challenges Daniel Cabrera, leaves the ball up, and Cabrera beats him. But you know what? That's just part of the battle. Then you come back and you shut everybody else down and you win the ball game. That's part of it. You can't be scared to go challenge guys with, with, with your best stuff. And I think Peyton Plumley has a little bit of that in him. I, I don't think Peyton has the best stuff. But Peyton's not scared to go in there and pitch at times and, and make people challenge him. I think when you look at what's going on with Sarantola right now, that guy's stuff is absolutely electric. When he is on, he is unhittable. But I believe he has lost a little confidence in his stuff because I think he had some ball game where some guys made some contact on him, some loud contact, and it's made him kind of question him his, his stuff a little bit. And so he's lost a little confidence. And so that's the challenge now for Coach Fox is to get these guys, okay, listen, let's go back and believe in our stuff here. Let's go challenge these guys and say, you know what, I know that I can throw this two-seam fastball for a strike. I know that I can drop my curveball in there for a strike, and I'm going to make you hit it. And I'm going to be unpredictable, and I'm going to throw what I want to on one or two counts. When I get an advantage counts and I got you guessing, and I'm going to win the guessing game more than not. But what happens, I believe, and it's just my semi-educated opinion, is uh, we'll get ahead of somebody 0-2-1-2, and we start thinking about the punch out. And listen, you don't want to, you know, you don't go throw a BP fastball on 0-2 right down the middle. But we start nibbling a little bit. Next thing you know, we we, we become predictable. You know, we'll get up 0-2-1-2, and uh, rather than finishing a guy in a couple of pitches, we start nibbling a little bit, and uh, we find ourselves on a full count. Well, we've got to make a predictable pitch there. Uh, we got to, we've got to throw our strike, and we get in trouble. But Coach Foxhall has won a lot of baseball games. He will get them figured out. We'll find we'll figure this Sunday thing out. Uh, I still expect Mississippi State to have a great season baseball-wise. I still think you know, we're not any worse than we were a week ago. And there are those people out there, and I want to address this before we move out of here today. There are some of those folks that for some reason it is so difficult for them to believe. It is so difficult for them to emotionally invest. Because you're like, oh, I don't want to get my heart broken. Well, listen, you know, if if we're that, if it's that big a deal, then maybe you don't need to keep up, keep up with it. But it's like they've been. There's people been waiting to pounce. You know, state elevates the number two in the country, and I think we're five and eight, still a top ten team, uh, in everybody's poll. You know, even though you lose to LSU, it's not like losing, and you know, to you know, to some Johnny also ran LSU's a quality program. A lot of teams are going to lose to LSU this year. But it's like people have just been waiting for us to stub our toe a little bit so they can say, see, I told y'all we weren't as good. What does that matter? Who does that help? It certainly doesn't help Mississippi State. It doesn't help me. And it's like these people that want to forecast failure. Listen, and I said this on a couple of message book groups last night, Facebook groups, and I'll say it again here. The poor old Mississippi State routine is tired. Those days are over. Look at look around you and look at what we have to cheer for. Look at what we have compared to what our parents had or our grandparents had. Look at what we have to cheer for. Look at what we have accomplished. And then you come, know, well, you know, we, we, we just know we're going to choke. You know, you can rest your insecurities wherever you want, but I'm going to ask respectfully that you not do it on Mississippi State because that ideology, that school of thought, is one of the things that has held Mississippi State back for years. And what I mean by that is people like that begin to say, okay, well, we're not going to do well. We're not going to do this. We're not going to do that. We're not good enough. We're not good enough. We're not good enough. We're not good enough. Well, then it kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Then people are like, well, maybe we're not so good. Maybe I don't need to buy season tickets. Maybe I don't need to make a donation to the Bulldog Club. Maybe I don't need to buy the shirt. And there's some of you out there, I wish you didn't buy the shirt, to be honest with you, because I get tired of you kind of affiliating your negativity with us. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. We need all the fans we can get. But sports are supposed to be for your enjoyment, supposed to be entertainment. 
And uh, if you have to ruin it for everybody else in order to feel good about it, I'm going to ask you to respectfully just kind of bow out. Just just move on from it. Because if you have to make everybody else miserable to feel good about sports, then this is probably not for you. And I, and I, I know for me, I do not want to affiliate with those people. I, 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 don't, I don't want to have any interaction with those people. I don't want to identify with them. I don't want people to see us on the street corner and say, hey, look, look at those two guys together. They're the same because we're not the same. We're not the same. I believe that Mississippi State is going to win national championships on the fields of play in sport. I don't think we're that far off in baseball. I think we're probably maybe one more recruiting class away from, from really being a dominant program again in college baseball. I believe that. And I believe with the facilities and the commitment that the university's made to baseball and John Cohen at the helm as our athletic director, he's going to ensure that Chris Lamontis has where he needs to be successful. I believe that. I believe Vic Schaefer is going to win a national championship in women's basketball. We're going to have our third consecutive top ten finish. And what was supposed to be a rebuilding year? I don't know that we rebuild in Mississippi State anymore. We reload. And I know that I don't count Vic Schaefer out as a recruiter ever. So you know what? We're going to be right back in the thick of things next year. Probably have a good chance to host again the first two rounds of the NCAA tournament. Probably. Probably have a really good chance to do that. I don't know that we win an SEC championship next year. But I believe that we'll win one within the next couple of years. I think we'll be right back. I think it'll be one of those things where we kind of jockey for position with South Carolina. And so if you're one of those national championships or bus type people, Mississippi State is probably not the school for you. And at some point we're going to win. It's going to be glorious. And I know what's going to happen, and you, and you can you can feel it. It's when we win one, there's going to be so many people, well, finally, finally, finally. Okay, okay, fine. You can wear the shirt too. But my point being is that all of that negativity only breeds more negativity. And uh, this is my livelihood. You know, for many people, it's just a hobby, whatever. You know, and so when the team does well, we do well. You know what I'm saying? It's like when there's a coaching search and people need information, we do well, you know. Uh, but the bottom line is, uh, I believe in Mississippi State. I believe in Dr. Mark Keenum and John Cohen. And I believe in our leadership in Mississippi State. They're going to do the things necessary to make sure that we are uh, where we need to be as a university and an athletic program to move forward in all aspects. And if I didn't believe that, I would tell you. I'd go do something else. I'd cut my hair and go get a real job, right? It's as simple as that. I believe in Mississippi State. I believe the best is ahead of us. Now, we've never had it this good before, and I believe the better days are ahead. But because some people have always, you know, you know, we might make a, there was a stretch there, and, you know, you guys may be familiar with this. And I'm, I'm writing a new book, right? And uh, matter of fact, I'll be completing the final interviews of the book this week and then uh, turning in the final chapters, and then we'll do the edits, and then it'll go off the print soon. A little bit later than I expected, but I'm very proud of the effort. But I don't know if you guys know this, but... Um, we didn't win a lot of bowl games. <laughs> uh, we didn't go to a lot of bowl games before the 2000s. We didn't go to many bowl games before Dan Mullen got here. You, you go back and do a little research here, you know, we have become spoiled in many respects as a fan base. And, uh, you know, we went to a couple of Orange Bowls, you know, back in the 40s. It's one of those things, too. We did not have the political clout that many universities did. We also didn't have the uh, the economic wherewithal to ensure and guarantee those tickets are going to be sold. We said that we didn't have it. Even when we had a good team, we didn't always get a bowl invitation because we just weren't we didn't travel well. We weren't going to buy tickets. It's one of those things. That we, it just didn't happen for us. And then Bob Tyler gets here, and things kind of begin to change. Then John Bond shows up, and Emmy Ballard shows up, and Johnny Cook shows up, and Glenn Collins shows up, and things begin to change. Then we kind of struggled along for a while. Then Jackie Farrell gets here, and things changed. And so, yeah, we've had stretches where we've had some, we've had some futility. We've had some losing seasons in baseball, which was, you know, unheard of for us. You know, we had Paul Gregory come in here and, and uh, win the SEC. We had Coach Gregory take us to Omaha for the first time. Then we had Ron Polk come in here and, and take us to Omaha regularly. And as great as all those years were, John Cohen comes in and takes us to Omaha and we play in the national championship final. We won our first SEC championship since 89 in 2016. We're a national seat for the first time ever. 
And so things are building. Things are trending in the right direction. And you know what? We've played for a national championship, what, three of the last five years? Is that right? Three of the last five years now? Begin to think about that. We had never played for one. And we've played for three in the last five years. So don't sit here and tell me it's never going to happen for us because it's going to happen. And when it happens, it's going to be glorious. And for those of you that have stuck through thick and thin, that are true maroon, that wear like I've seen so many posts today from so many of our women's basketball fans. You know what? I got on my maroon today. I wore it to the office, and I'm proudly walking around here with my Mississippi State coffee mug. You know what? My hat is off to you because it is going to mean more to you because you're going to look back when we win an Apple championship, no matter what sport it is, you're going to look back and say, you know what? I was there all along. I was there. And it's going to matter more to you because you hadn't been so hot or cold. You hadn't. You hadn't. So I invite you to be true maroon. And I invite you to go buy your Stark Villain shirt. People always say, Steve, we want to help. How can we help? You, you, you go buy a Stark Villain shirt. Go to StarkVillains.com and go buy a handful of shirts. Give them to your friends. Uh, that's, that's, that's the best way to do it. Not to mention, identify with the brands. Because I'm going to tell you, when that, whenever we win the NAFL championship, and that's going to happen. And, and as soon as we get one, I'm going to want two. You know, I want what LSU has in baseball. I don't know if we get there, but I think we're going to get an NFL championship for sure. It's just a matter of time. But I want you to be a part of it. And I can't wait for you guys to read this book. I absolutely cannot wait. Every time I finish a chapter, I always think, oh, this is the best thing I've ever written. Or this chapter is the best one in the book. I wrote a chapter last week with Wes Ray about uh, the 2013 team and about you know the setting the attendance record and all that kind of stuff and, and the great milestones. And the one thing that I get with every interview that I do, no matter the sport, no matter the generation, no matter the gender, no matter whatever, whatever demographic you want to put together, the one thing that I walk away from every single time, whether it be a coach, player, fan, whatever, is an undying love for Mississippi State University. That's the tie that binds us together. We, listen, if we all got together and had political discussions, we'd probably be in a fist fight, right? Chances are we're not all going to ever get up and meet meet up for a drink and have uh, a good time together in a bar. It's not going to happen. Chances of all going to the same place of worship, not going to happen. But we can put all that aside. We can put all of our differences aside when Mississippi State is playing, and we can pull for a common goal. And that's the one thing that the writing process for Stark Villains has been so unbelievably rewarding for me. Because when I began writing this book, I was thinking, you know, there have been so many books about the, quote, rivalry. They've been written by a bunch of Ole Miss people. There's never really been one written from the Mississippi State perspective. And there have been some, you know, historical books written. You know, they, they people go back and recap games. But to allow you to, to go and interview players and have them talk about big moments in the rivalry and big moments wearing maroon and white and big things in the recruiting trail, have them talk about that. Um, it is really, as much as I loved Mississippi State before, I love it even more now. And I think when you read this book, you're going to feel the same way that I do today. And uh, as I have submitted things in and to, to my to literary agent, and I and my wife is my first uh, proofreader, uh, but their feedback, you know, that's one. I wrote a chapter about Robert Bell, and I had a chance to interview him. And uh, my agent got back with me and said, you know what, I, I didn't want the chapter to end. I didn't want it to end. And I think that he, in, in many ways, he is kind of a forgotten hero. Uh, in the eyes of many of our fans. And so it has been my honor to kind of tell his story and to document that for future generations so people never forget what Robert Bell and Frank Dowsing did at Mississippi State, what they mean to our fan base, what they mean to our state. Got a great chapter with Nick Fitzgerald and uh, interviewed, uh, you know, his mother and his girlfriend and, and about his road to recovery and how much it meant to win the Egg Bowl. And you know how much that meant to all of us. That that story doesn't end correctly. That story of redemption, it just doesn't have the right ending without him winning the Egg Bowl. And he did. And so when you have a chance to, when you, I cannot wait for you all to hold this book in your hands. And it's one of the things I'm so motivated now to kind of get, kind of get finished, okay, and get this out there. Um, and I know and the people say, well, what are you going to do? Because you know as soon as the book gets out there, people are going to say, well, you should have wrote this story. You know what, we'll just write a sequel. We'll, we'll do an encyclopedia set of encyclopedias about Mississippi State if we need to because I want good stories I want stories that matter to all of you and there's some stories that, that, that you're never going to know without this book 
there are some stories that I didn't know. Because once word got out that I was, this is what I'm doing, I had people contact me and say, you know what, I've got a story, or I've got an uncle, or I've got a grandfather, or I've got this, and this happened. And so you begin to put this stuff together. And, uh, you know, kind of the consistent thread in the whole thing is just one of the love of the maroon and white. And uh, there's so many of our older silver-haired dogs, and, and I have such unbelievable respect for them because they did not have the uh, – they, they didn't grow up with the Mississippi State that many of us did. And when I begin to think about our my children, they, they don't know what we know. You know what I'm saying? They didn't have to endure what we went through. Uh, they've kind of grown up going to bowl games and uh, and seeing us be competitive in all fields of play. Uh, and so I think it's important to kind of document where we've been so we can appreciate where we are. And, again, that's StarkVillains.com. You can get yourself a shirt. We'll be back on Wednesday, have a chance to talk a little baseball. Not a lot's going to happen between now and then, but um, we'll find some things to talk about. Mississippi State in action Wednesday night, losing in Monroe, and then, of course, hitting the road to Knoxville uh, later this week. Look forward to being back with you then. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends and enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.